0: have you ever just sat there in your home late at night and and thought or said, I sure wish that we had a king to lead us. I bet it's something you've never thought or said. I doubt that's run across your mind. Now kings, uh, what are they known for? Kings are known for their dominance, not necessarily their graciousness or liberty. What is a king? It's 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 a male that comes through you know, through a family line, through ancestry, born into that, who, you know, at a, at a certain time is given authority and control and leadership over, uh, a, you know, a space, a country, a realm. So when we think of kings in our culture, um, I mean, who comes to mind? Now, if, in the, if, if we're kind of looking at sports, who's the first king that comes to mind in our country? That's right, King James, the chosen one, LeBron. Now, in San Antonio, uh, we could probably have some debate over whether he is the greatest king in the NBA or not. We have our own feelings on that. But he's known throughout the NBA as the king. Well, maybe you think of Queen Elizabeth in England. She's not a king, but she's ruled for over 60 years. As long as I've been alive, she's been reigning over the realms of England. And so my whole life, the royal family's been in the media. It's just the strangest thing when you think about it, right? I can go back to when I was, uh, I mean, I was just a, a, a young kid, 1981. I was all excited that Charles and Diana were getting married and we could watch the wedding on television, So I I don't know how I knew about this or was you know that interested in it, but I was, and so I got up at four in the morning and I watched the royal wedding. It was super boring. Um, I don't know how long I watched, um, but I went back to bed. But you know, when you think of the royal family, that would be a sweet gig, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be? I've always wondered what exactly do they do. All right. So we're fortunate to live in America, and when you think of our history, our founding fathers you know, took huge radical steps to move from Europe to America to, to, uh, to basically establish a republic. And thankfully, George Washington, who was our first president, um, he had a passion to establish a, you know, a republic for the people, a republic of free citizens where we could pursue the, I'm going to need that, um, the rights of life, liberty, and property. Now this, it's interesting because George Washington could have become the king. There were some that wanted him to be the king here in America, but he wouldn't do it. He kind of reluctantly took the presidency. But he didn't take the presidency for power. He took it for a cause because he wanted to establish a new way of life, a way of liberty, along with some other um, amazing leaders. Now, I I picked this up, too. I thought this was really interesting. King George, who was George Washington, King George III of England, who was George Washington's greatest adversary, adversary, He was uh, having a portrait painted of himself by Benjamin West, who was an American, and he asked this question about Washington. He said, what is Washington going to do after winning independence? And the painter West replied, they say that he will return to his farm. And the king responded, if he does that, he will be the greatest man in the world. That's what he did. All right. So as we talk about kingship, what does that have to do with our life today? How is it important here in 2015? Well, the Psalms as we spend time in the Psalms, you know, really create a theme throughout of the importance of kingship. And it's not the importance that we need to have some human king or leader to go to. The Psalms proclaim that we need a king. We need A divine king, not an earthly king, not anything really that we're familiar with in this world. We need a king from a different realm, a king from heaven, the God who created everything. And so King David, as he talks about the the king, as he talks about the king, his God, the king, we start to see the significance of this. And it's significant for us today, not just for David long, long ago, but it's significant for us because the question is, what does it mean for us to know God as our king? What does it mean for us to daily go about our life pursuing his kingdom and his ways? Well, here's what David says in Psalm 145. Uh, the, The header is, this is a psalm of praise by King David. And it's a good starting point for us as we pursue the importance of this in our relationship with God. Here's what David says, Psalm 145. I will exalt you, my God and King, and praise your name forever and ever. I will praise you every day. Yes, I will praise you. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. All right. So as we think about God, I mean, most people in our culture believe there's a God. Over 90% in our culture believe there's some kind of God. But even for those of us who believe, have put our faith in God, how many of us think that God is a good king? Is that a part of our perspective? I mean, how many of us, then kind of the next step, how many of us truly want to live under God's authority On a daily basis. Now we start to wonder when we think about okay, what does it mean to live under God's authority, under his kingship on a daily basis? These are good and important questions. And one of the reasons that we struggled, because some of us were in this room and we're we're searching for faith. We're not sure what we believe yet. And so we wonder, okay, yeah, is is God there? Is he good? What's he really about? we come with questions and doubts. And many of us who've put our faith in God also have questions. What does it mean to live under God's authority? Because we have all kinds of perceptions in our culture. What's God like? Is he he good? Or is he angry? Is he demanding? What kind of king is? Is he? And that's why it's so important for us. As we look at the, uh, you know, this idea, we go back into the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament is all about kingship. And God's kingship that he established with his people, Israel. From the very beginning of the scriptures, we hear about this God who created all things. And now and then he, he, he kind of takes this, this people aside for himself. And he really lays out a covenant like any king would do with commandments and stipulations where he, as God, the king, says, here's what I promise to do for you, my people. And I'm also expecting you to do some things in return. And so all throughout the Old Testament, we see that God has laid out this relationship with his people, Israel. It's a way of life. It's different from the other nations. God wants them to be different, to be set apart. sounds easy enough. But as you read through the Old Testament, what do you see? You see that God's people, I mean, this is the God who said, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. This is going to be good. You will have joy, you'll have freedom, and you'll have liberty as you learn to live in my ways. And yet, the people ran away from God and broke his commandments over and over again. Now, we can relate to that simply because we are broken, imperfect people as well. We are prone to wander, just like God's people Israel in the Old Testament. And the prophet Samuel, he, he, he talks about what happens with Israel. This is really interesting um, as you look back into Samuel. Because Samuel was one of the prophets, Um, he was significant in David's life. And here's uh, here's what happens near the end of Samuel's life. Um, He's about to appoint his sons to be judges at that point. I mean, Samuel had a a very important career, uh, and now he's going to appoint his sons. The problem with his sons is they were corrupt. So I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was because Samuel wasn't around very much, but his sons ended up being very corrupt, and the elders were concerned about this, and they called a meeting with Samuel. And here's what they said. They said, look, Samuel, you're now old, and your sons are not like you, so give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. Samuel was displeased with their request, and he went to the Lord for guidance, And the Lord replied, do everything they say to you, for they are rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed other gods. And now they are giving you the same treatment. So do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about the way a king will reign over them. So God had been clear, I'm going to be your king. You don't need a king like the other nations. And yet, as Solomon was transitioning out, the elders said, no, we need a king just like the other nations. And so Samuel went on and he talked about, okay, you want a king. Here's what it's it's going to look like for you. Um, I'll just give you an excerpt of it. The king will draft your sons and assign them to chariots. Um, They will go to war uh, for him. Some will be generals and captains in his army. Some will be forced to plow his fields and harvest his crops. And some will make his weapons and chariot equipment. The king will take your daughters from you and force them to cook and bake and make perfumes for him. He will take away the best of your fields and your vineyards and, and your olive groves. He will take a tenth of your grain and grape harvest and distribute it among his officers and attendants. He will take your male and female slaves and demand your finest cattle. You will demand a tenth of your flocks, and you will be his slaves. And when that day comes, you will beg for relief from this king you are demanding, but the Lord will not help you. Now, what's what's crazy about this is Samuel, even as he told the people, this is what's gonna happen. What do you think they said? Did they fall on their knees and say, No, we've messed up, don't do this. Nope, they said, we still want a king. We want to be like the nations around us. Now that seems insane. They wanted an abusive king to provide for them and protect them because they didn't like the uncertainty they were in. I mean, it's very similar to what happened when the Israelites were in Egypt. God rescued them. He brought them out of Egypt into a new land. And within days and weeks, people started to complain and cry out and say, it's horrible out here. What, are you just going to kill us in the desert? We want to go back. It was better when we were in slavery and bondage. All right. Now for us, that seems very far removed, but let's think about our own lives. Many of us, have made choices where, you know, we've said, I want to do this, and we end up essentially in slavery, right? I mean, there's so many things as we, you know, pursue uh, life, you know, success, power, status, recognition. I mean, think about this. How many of you have been in a place, I can think of lots of stories in my own life, where you were basically controlled by another person's opinion of you. I mean, maybe it's because you wanted to do well, you, you wanted um, you know, their approval, or you wanted their praise, but you found yourself enslaved by what they thought about you, what they said about you. There's so many ways for you and I to end up in slavery where we don't choose freedom. Well, David was chosen by God to, to share, you know, here's what it looks like to follow this great king. I mean, David was a king. And he didn't rule like a lot of other kings. He didn't rule like the kings of the other nations. And here's what we learn from David is we learn more about, okay, what's God like as a king? I mean, he's separate. He's beyond all other things that we could know or experience. In Psalm 145, David continues this way. He says this. This is what God the king is like. The Lord is merciful and compassionate. He's slow to to get angry and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. He shows compassion on all his creation. All of your works will thank you, Lord, and your faithful followers will praise you. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom, They will give examples of your power. They will tell about your mighty deeds and about the majesty and glory of your reign. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, your rule rule throughout all generations. The Lord always keeps his promises. He is gracious in all he does. So David knew God this way. That God, not only was he strong, and mighty. Not only was he eternal, but he was loving and kind and merciful, and he longed for his people to enjoy his free freedom and the only the, the, the liberty that only he could give. And David, as you hear his voice throughout the Psalms, praises this great king, gives descriptive phrases of God's presence and his desire for us to experience more and more of his grace and mercy and love. Well, here's something else that David knew as well. He knew that God wasn't just out there in eternity in the heavens. He knew that one day God was gonna show up, not just in the temple, God was gonna show up in a more personal way. And David, he didn't know exactly what that was going to look like, but he talked about this messianic figure that would come. This person that would come out of his line through his ancestry. One day God would send his messianic king to earth. And as we read the New Testament, we know that Jesus was that king. I mean, really, that's what we have to wrestle with in terms of what does it mean for us to pursue living under God's authority today? We have to look to Jesus. He's the one who's come to show us perfectly what God's love and truth and grace and mercy look like. Jesus said at the end of his life, he said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. And then he says, You know, therefore go and make disciples. Go out and represent what you're experiencing under my authority. And I promise I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus came with divine authority, he was divine and human. And he's the only one who shows us the way to God the King. Um, Here's, I like this excerpt too, or this excerpt. You know, Jesus, it's, right at the end of his life, and he's talking to Pilate, and Pilate has questions. Pilate doesn't want to execute Jesus, and so he's, you know, he's trying to find ways to let him go, even though the Jewish leadership is pushing so hard to crucify Jesus. Um, And so Pilate, you know, asks him a question, and here's what Jesus answered. He said, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from handing it over to the Jewish leaders, or from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, so you're a king. Jesus responded, you say I'm a king. Actually, I was born and I came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. And Pilate sat there and kind of pondered. He said, what is truth? And then he moved on. For us, as we think about faith, Jesus stands at the very center of what it means for us to understand God's involvement in our world and in our lives. And when we see Jesus, and when we go to Jesus, we can experience grace and mercy. When we acknowledge that Jesus, we, we need your kingship. We need your way. We need your leadership as we make decisions on a daily basis. That's where we begin to receive and experience the freedom that He has to offer. Um, a week ago, uh, we were in Connecticut and uh, we went to Connecticut to meet uh, family members from across the country. Um, because we were having a memorial service for my grandfather and put up the tombstone here. Um, it's, it's kind of a long story, but uh, my grandfather, he died end of last year, and he uh, was basically sent to Connecticut. That's where he'd lived for a long time to be buried next to my grandma. And then all of us had to find a time when we could actually meet this summer. And so we did. Um, my, my grandfather lived until he was 88 years old, um, I had a good relationship with my grandpa, especially in the last, uh, you know, ten years or so of his life. Um, but he was a tough guy. Um, you know, he grew up. His 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 parents separated when he was little, and um, he, you know, grew up poor. He went to Catholic boarding school, so he grew up very, you know, under very strict conditions. And he came out of that basically obsessed with precision, perfection. He wanted his life to measure up and to be perfect. And so after military service, he went um, to college, got his degree, went to medical school, became a doctor, was in practice for 15 or so years, and then he went into medical research for the rest of his career, and he had a lot of success. He had... um, you know, lots of research that has his name on it. And so I I so respect him and look up to him for what he accomplished through his work life. But here's the deal. For us as a family, he wasn't as successful with relationships in his family. And so we, we come to this place, and there were about 30 of us, and half the people had you know, a a good relationship or a pretty good relationship with grandpa, and the other half uh, did not have a good relationship at all. And so as we sat to celebrate his life and to remember his life and entrust him to God, there was a lot of pain. There was a lot of hurt that hadn't been expressed. I mean, one of the family members, his uh, my, my grandpa had four kids. The oldest two, uh, my mom was one of the oldest two. Uh, they were adopted. And then um, two younger kids. And his son, um, his only son, they got into an argument back in like 1987 and then never talked again. And my uncle, he died in 2009 without any reconciliation. And so my cousin came and... And it was, you know, all that was heavy there as I led the service at the gravesite. And so, what I taught, you know, so I mean, that's the question: What do I talk about in this difficult, difficult moment? So we celebrate his life, and then just honest that uh, Grandpa had some really rough edges, and because of that, there's there's pain. Many of you have been hurt. Um. And one of the things my grandpa struggled with is grasping God's grace and mercy because he was always about perfection in a certain way. And you know what happens when you kind of focus your life on that? You end up building your own little kingdom. And I think later in life, my grandpa started to discover what grace and mercy was all about. And yet, he didn't know how to give grace and mercy. I want to show you another picture. So this is a moment. Um, we were all gathered around, and my brother-in-law took this picture uh, where Emery, she just came up close to me, and she stood there the whole time as I talked. Um, and here's why this is so important for us. No matter where you're at in faith, as you pursue Christ, as you think about what it means to live under God's authority, you see, his grace and his mercy is not just for us to affect our life. And this is what David is talking about. He says that one generation to another generation should share the story of God's goodness, what a great king he is, what it means to live within him, his his community, within his family. And what I realized in that moment is even though Grandpa had received the grace and mercy of Christ, he didn't know how to give that grace and mercy. And so this group of people had been affected very little by his grace and mercy. And so as I thought about this moment, I thought about my own opportunity, my own uh, responsibility as a dad in my family, not just to receive the grace and mercy, mercy of Jesus, to begin to learn how and figure out how to live within this kingdom that he talks about, this new way of life, but how to share that with my kids. How to share that when you know, we all make mistakes, we all mess up. And so there's opportunities. I mean, if you got kids at home. You know, there are daily opportunities to share mercy and grace, right? To talk about God's goodness to us, but yet God's way of life, the way that he wants us to go. And little Emery, she hadn't heard anything about God before we got her and adopted her. And it's so amazing to, to be a part of this experience now where she prays with us. She asks questions about Jesus. In fact, after my grandpa's funeral, she said, uh, she says, okay, so grandpa, grandpa died, and she was you know, you know, asking questions about that, and I don't want to die, and, and grandpa was cremated, and she thought that was horrible, and so we were talking about that, and then we were talking about Jesus, and she, she said over and over again, I, I want to uh, see Jesus, and I'm like, yeah, I'd like to see Jesus too, um, but we don't see Jesus now, but we, that's why we have the Bible. And so then she's like, Daddy, can I get a Bible? So we got a Bible. Um, and then after the, the funeral, she was talking about Jesus. And, and I said, did you know that Jesus, because she heard something that I said uh, you know, last weekend. And, and she said, I said, did you know that Jesus died, but that he actually overcame death? He resurrected from the dead, and he's alive forever. And she said, What? What? Exactly. That's the empowerful mystery of the gospel. That God came into our world to lay down his life for us. And he's the only one who had the power to pick it up again. To show us that he is not just some king out there, but he's the reigning king of our universe. He's the reigning king that calls us into relationships to look to him on a daily basis. And you know what that means for us? It means that as you respond to him today, whether it's for the first time or you're responding for the, you know, this is the 23rd day in a row that you've tried to respond to his kingship. Do you know what it means for you? It means that you are a child of the king. Let that sit in for a moment the most important thing that we need to know about Jesus' kingship and about God's involvement in our lives as we understand and receive his grace is that we are children of the king. We're not outsiders. And there, in, in, in knowing that, there's tremendous freedom and joy where you and I can be a part of sharing that good news the people closest to us, to our kids, to our family, to our friends, to the people we work with, just looking for creative ways to share this incredible news that the King is here for us. And it's a joy and a pleasure to live under his authority.